Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Before we get to our guest, here's Grant. He's got a look at what's happening in the connected space. Well, we, uh, I guess we couldn't go without talking about WeChat and TikTok. Um, as you know, uh, they're being banned in the U.S. by uh, the president. Um, as you probably know also, WeChat are the, is the biggest user uh, group in the world. Kenley dominates um, China and people here, as does uh, TikToks. Well, socially and user, we'll have to see how that affects the world. It's 100 million people in the United States are users. It's crazy. Um, and you can't even live in China without WeChat. You pay with it, you do everything. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, another interesting thing is we all know about Uber and they're trying to find their foothold and things. They've now, uh, they're going to have Uber Air now. Like for airplanes? Air as a service. So picture the Jetsons. They're going to have these like parking garages with little hangars where like helicopter landings and you'll be picked up by Uber, little Uber helicopters all over the place. And quite frankly, I like it. And the other thing that uh, we'll know a little bit local um, in our in our area of, of the world, the largest uh, parking space reservation company that out there, Spot Hero, just acquired a company in Toronto uh, called Rover, who is the who is the B and B of parking uh, in Toronto. Very small. Wait, explain B and B of yeah. Parking. What what it is is, um, and I love it. I know the people at Rover, and I think they made a good marriage with uh, Spot Hero. So what you do is you have a parking space at your house and someone's going down to the CNE, and of course no CNE right now because of COVID, you can rent it out just like you rent out your your um your apartment. What a great idea. Okay. Well the idea's been around for 10 years. Because of security concerns and so on, uh, it's always been a tough one to 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 we're in it, we love it, and we hope that they're successful. Sandy Carter is Amazon Web Services Vice President, Worldwide Public Sector Global Partners and Programs. She's responsible for driving next-generation partnering. Her responsibilities include evolving partner models to intensify partner innovation, AWS cloud adoption, and creation of mission-critical cloud solutions with partners across the public sector. Prior to her current role, Sandy built an enterprise workload team as the Vice President of Windows and Enterprise Workloads at AWS, focused on helping companies innovate using their current technology and assets. Sandy is speaking to us from Amazon Web Services in Seattle. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's great to be here today. Social media started out as a way for friends to better keep in touch. Business followed the social media trend to promote their brands and to engage customer feedback. How do you see companies and other organizations better using social media to engage with their constituents? Well, first... I love, I love social media. So anyone listening could follow me on Twitter at Sandy underscore Carter, basically any other social platform. I think the way that companies, though, can use social media better to engage uh, is first to use it as a listening tool. I get a lot of great ideas from looking at what people are talking about on LinkedIn, doing surveys on Twitter, um, even just looking at pictures on Instagram or listening to the audios on 
um, on some of the newest technologies that are out there today, because I do think that it's really interesting and important to be able to listen to what others are saying and what others are doing um, in the marketplace. Secondly, I see if you are very transparent as a company, it's extremely valuable. You can really show your true self. Like what are the social causes that you are really interested in? Not just interested in for, um, you know, for marketing purposes, but what is it that really, really drives you in the marketplace today? I also believe that um, as companies move forward in social, we're going to see a big push around smaller, more focused groups. I think gone are the days where you have, you know, where you're looking for hundreds of thousands of followers. I think now you're looking at followers who really matter and that you are consistent in your message, but that you're also looking at the types of people that you're speaking to today. So actually, you know, for AWS, we talk a lot about cloud. We're pretty consistent in talking about cloud, remaining top of mind. And we're also pretty technical in what we talk about. So people know that they can be consistent with us in that, um, in that channel. Howbeit, in other channels, we talk specifically to line of business. So I think it's really important to make sure that you know and you understand who you are targeting. That's great. But Sandy, when you do this, do you work with the companies and develop for that? When you meet partners that Amazon recommends and Amazon works with, do you identify these things or do you recommend on their own? Well, today, what we do is um, we work with partners. That's part of my job and my mission is to work with partners. And so what we're really about is telling the story from the customer perspective, Grant, so that we are always looking at it being customer obsessed, one of our leadership principles. So as we work with our partners, we really advise them not to go out there and say, wow, look at our product. It's the greatest product ever. But to really even have the customer speak on their behalf, to tell the customer story, the customer's journey, and advise them, you know, that way. A lot of social media is used to complain. And that uncovers a whole whack of challenges on their own. How do you mine positive feedback amongst all the noise? Well, I think uh, positive feedback is really important to look at and to understand, Alan. I think that as long as you've got the right level of metrics that balance what you're talking about, you know, for us at Amazon, one of our leadership principles is to dive deep and to really challenge our way of thinking on things. And so we love positive feedback, of course. And we learn a lot from positive feedback, what our customers love, what they, you know, how they use the product, maybe in ways that we never even imagined. But we also look at, you know, some of the suggestions that they might have for us too. In fact, some of our best ideas, we just were um, looking at a partner situation and a partner had a great idea that we've now execute on through our, uh, our what we call our OP1 process or our operating planning process. Smart cities are about making smart decisions based on data. What decisions are you seeing being made with this data? Oh, wow. This is a really interesting question because, Alan, I think that, you know, during COVID, we really saw companies, states, cities, governments, company, I mean, everybody understanding now the importance of data. 
before I used to have people come into our briefings and they would say, Sandy, tell us all about AI and ML. And they still do that. But now they do realize that they have to have a data strategy before they enter into that AI and ML strategy. So now we're seeing decisions based on good data, data that's gathered maybe from IoT sensors. So for example, um, parking, traffic, you know, when your lights come on and when they go off, um, real-time data from the air, the sea, every kind of data that's out there is now enabling us to make better decisions. So for example, a traffic example, let's use that from MyoVision. So we are ingesting about 100,000 messages a day from thousands of IoT sensors located at different traffic intersections worldwide. So citizens in the town of Milton, Ontario, for instance, were reporting poor traffic progression at two very busy intersections. So they worked with our partner, MyoVision, and they gathered all of this data up and they captured and analyzed it. And now they're able to detect traffic patterns and the traffic engineering team can now identify the cause of that poor traffic progression and to measure the impact of corrective action. So they might divert or change a traffic light to um, you know, hang in there a little bit longer. I saw something similar in Toronto. There's this intersection underneath the Gardner Expressway that is a magnet for, for collisions. And they're now using AI and other smart technologies to try to predict traffic flow with uh, you know times of day and pedestrians and all that sort of stuff to reduce the number of collisions. Yeah, and um, we've seen people using data to predict not predict, but to look at data about where do most of the bike accidents happen and how do you put up signage and help those areas um, in, that, in that overall structure. So I'm really excited about really using this data now. I mean, another example, this is one of my very favorites. So if you think about uh, utilities like water, you know, billions of dollars every year are spent, Alan, on water infrastructure, especially in the developing world. But as people put in water systems to help, after about two years on average, 40% of those water systems are broken. And there's no trackable way to do the, the maintenance of those systems. So one of our partners called ESSE and a customer called eWater got together in Africa. Now, Africa has some um, amazing challenges that are out there today that are being worked on by SE and eWater. So what they now do, it's kind of interesting. They have this prepayment water dispenser, which uh, disperses fresh, clean water. And it uses IoT and mobile money. And what they do is they take their phone, they buy these credits, and they're able to access clean water in communities 24 by 7 throughout Sub-Sahara Africa. Now, because they have these sensors, though, that are also tracking the disbursement of that water, now they can tell when they need to send out someone for maintenance, when they can do that remotely. And because that water is now part of the overall community, because the, the local stores help you to buy the, the credits, there is a team that has businesses around the tap. Now the whole local economy, if you would, encourages businesses to value and look after and maintain that pump. I love the story because it's hashtag tech for good, as well as making smart decisions with data. I got a question for you. 
I was going to ask this question before this story. Now this story makes it much easier. Africa. We know that they have challenges with infrastructure. We know they have problems with cloud and communications. How does that fit into the ability to do what they want to do? And where do you place the decision when to spend the money? And I'll give you an example. You brought up traffic survey. As you know, everyone has budgets, just like Africa. But what are they choosing to evaluate where to make that investment in the future? Or is it more as we know COVID has changed it quite a bit? Is it social reasons? Is it because of congestion? Of course, everyone makes you crazy. Is it hard to, for everyone to make that decision? Yeah, it's really interesting. We saw a lot of decisions being made during COVID based on cost. Um, and it's kind of an obvious answer, if you would, because so many places didn't have revenue coming in, right? So if you looked at, for example, you know, if you were looking at uh, a city or a state or a country, they just didn't have the revenue coming in. So a lot of decisions were made. How can I do this? without spending a lot of money? What's a good cost, uh, cost way to, to, to manage? So we have seen a lot of transformation to the cloud because the cloud is more cost effective. So the cost drove that decision. But Grant, what we're now seeing is because people are now believers in the cloud, that the cloud does reduce costs, but they also found that it gave them that agility. Um, they could, they had, you know, demand that went up and down. They pay for it when the demand's up, not when the demand's down. They saw the agility of being able to, you know, spin up something fast, try it out, experiment. And so now what we're seeing is that more people are saying, okay, I did this originally because of cost, but now I really want to emphasize that agility. Because we all know during COVID, those businesses that pivoted fast were the ones that were really successful. Those who said, what is my customer doing and how can I now respond to that new customer? Those are the ones that made it. So I'm really thrilled that now decisions are not just being made on that cost element, but on how can I move more quickly and agilely as a business. What roadblocks do you see in adopting innovations on a citywide scale? Well, it's so interesting. Um, I think if you think about what's going on in a city. Um, for instance, we were just looking at one city where they were looking at just their, their fire system, their emergency response system, and the police. There was no integration between the three. And so one of the biggest areas that we, we do see challenges with is integration of that data. How do I pass data? Because all these different groups have been working in silos, and so they might have different ways of gathering the data, collecting the data, even different systems that those data are on. Other roadblocks we see is trying to go really big, really fast. It's one of the reasons I like that traffic example, Alan, that you and I chatted about right up front, because you know tackling traffic in a city is manageable. You can see the results. You can start at a couple of intersections and then grow it to be more and more and more. Places where I find roadblocks are when people come in and say, okay, let's do the whole city. Let's do the water, the traffic, you know, the store systems, everything at one time. It just gets too big. Uh, we at Amazon believe very firmly in starting small, experimenting, pivot, and then continuing to build. How do you think AI can be used to make cities smarter? I think analytics and um, AI are really important because they make cities smarter. So once you gather the data, 
for example, they can detect fraud or waste or abuse. They can detect those traffic patterns. They can automate content management, improve education outcomes, forecast demand and planning. So um, let me do another transportation example out of New South Wales. They're using machine learning to make real-time decisions about how they are um, looking at that demand that comes in on trains. So what they do is they've got a way that they're predicting based on weather, um, how much traffic, how much people traffic will board a train, board a bus at any one time. They enable that agency to have a better workforce plan, a better asset utilization plan, and it's all based on these uh, machine learning models. I know that's funny because I remember when dealing with, uh, when Watson first came out, and then I was talking to you about my vision, was always about the demand for transportation, having zones, peak areas, in the downtown core, being able to use AI. So if you identify it's a rainy day, a sunny day, cloudy, there's an event going on, and to change all the rates based in that parameters to that zone. I think it looks like it's there now. So now we can utilize it with the type of data with that type of data. But one thing I always get worried about, Sandy, data always sometimes tells you to streamline people. When you're dealing with governments, you worry about that. That is not our goal. It's to make them more efficient. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, as you're using the data and the information in the right way, you're actually going to be driving and and adding jobs. So um, let me give you another example and involving the community too. So Grant, um, in the city of Virginia Beach, I can't wait to get back to the beach, by the way. Um, (laughs) In the city of Virginia Beach, they wanted to be able to respond to the sea levels, right? When they have coastal flooding, a great example is the hurricane that just came through that. And so they were able to install sensors in different places to collect that data. There were no people gathering that before. They were just doing it off a weather forecast. And not only now do they have the sensors to gather that data, it actually, they actually enabled private citizens to provide data. So they essentially crowdsource data, which I know we've talked about before. And I love this example because it not only supplemented what they were doing, it gave them better decisions. It helped to automate some of these alerts and it got the community involved. So, you know, we keep talking about during COVID, we're in this together this is really being in it together. You've got public facilities and services using sensors from a whole different set of agencies working with the community. To me, that's the best working together example that I could ever come up with. That's fantastic. Obviously, you've gone from one great position to another great position. Amazon. So, you know, it's one of my favorite companies. It's unbelievable. I tell people every day, I just can't believe it. What is the strategy in Amazon? You understand infrastructure, but internally, are you building infrastructure? I mean, it looks like everything you do is a real strategy, whether it be food, whether it be delivery, smart cars. Is there a strategy or a philosophy that you carry within the company? Yes, I would tell you, and it, and it um, you know, it's one of the things that I was so impressed with uh, Amazon and AWS before I came here was what was the process or how how did Amazon keep innovating so quickly? And not just innovating, but really coming up with the next big idea that really made a difference. It wasn't just an innovation for an innovation, but it really made a difference. 
And I will tell you, one of the things that I have learned is the the process that Amazon goes through, or the mechanism that we use, is, is called working backwards from the customer. So unlike other big companies where they, um, you know, their C-suite spends 20% of their time with customers, 80% of the time internally doing stuff, at Amazon, you know, we're constantly with customers. We're working backwards from them. We are customer-obsessed, not customer-focused. And if you can really define what your customer need is and the experience that you want that customer to enjoy, that's the winning combination. And I think that's really played out during COVID with our partners and our customers who do that. They start with a customer, not start with some technology. So we ask who the customer is, what the customer problem is, what the most important benefit is, what does the customer experience look like? And if you can really understand your customer then you can innovate over and over and over again. I'm going to guess that with COVID and with so many people ordering from home that you have learned a lot about human behavior in the last six months. <laughs> that is true. But so have our customers. I mean, we have customers who are um, restaurants who pivoted very quickly because they they knew and understood the working backwards, right? There, in fact, there's a restaurant here in Seattle that I love. It's a fine dining restaurant. When you couldn't go out to eat, they pivoted to takeout with white tablecloths and they did concerts over Zoom. And so it doesn't have to be something as big as Amazon. It's just really understanding your customer enough to know what they really need and then delivering what they need. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, all the best at AWS, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Well, thank you, uh, Grant and Alan, for having me on your first podcast. I'm so excited. Congratulations. You're the star. Hope to see you soon. This is going to be amazing. It really is. And, and thank you for allowing me to share stories about our partners and customers who really are the uh, true winners in this environment. So thank you. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Upcoming programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. If you want our website, it's thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.